Micah. Good morning. Good to see you all here today. I've got uh, four boys at home, and uh, one of the privileges, as you, as you know, if you are a parent, is uh, seeing your children grow up and mature. And as they do grow up and mature, you're able to uh, give them a little bit more responsibilities as they become older into adulthood. I remember about a year ago, uh, we upgraded our the two oldest, we called them the bigs, and uh, we upgraded them from their high chairs at dinner time to um, a, a friend of ours had built a bench for them. So they got to sit for the first time with mom and dad at the table, and uh, like big kids, and it was very, very exciting for them. They loved the privilege of it. It was a blessing for them, And uh, but here's the thing, with that privilege came some expectations of how they were to behave, okay? So they had to learn uh, to sit on their bottoms, tummy to the table, right? So if I had a dollar every single time I told my kids, tummy to the table, I would be a rich man, all right? So they can't touch each other. We can have conversations at the table, and we can talk with one another, but we can't tickle each other. This is not rough house time. We are eating a meal. This, you want to sit at the table with us? This is what is expected of you. We're still learning that, okay? It's been about a year into it. We're still figuring all of that out. It's a process. They're figuring it out. We also love giving them gifts, age-appropriate gifts, as they grow. Um, about a month ago, my dad had built a, a thing called a mud kitchen, which is basically an outdoor little playset kitchen. It's the coolest thing. It's got like a grill painted on it. It's got a sink. You can hook up a hose to it. And uh, it's for their enjoyment. And uh, it's, it's, they love it. They can get dirty. They make mud. And they cook us burgers out of it. And they bring it to you. And it's just a fun gift. But also, with that gift comes this expectation that they have to share it with others. It is no one brother's mud kitchen. It's all of it. And if we have friends come over to play, they are expected to share the mud kitchen generously with those who come over to our house. This concept of privilege and responsibility, it applies to our spiritual lives as well. In today's passage, Paul is, is going to be making the point that while the gospel comes with incredible privilege, and it does. I mean, we've been reading through it throughout the summer and just the incredible blessings that we have in Jesus. It also comes with great responsibility. If we're going to claim that we are new creations in Christ, it's also expected that we are to live like new creations in Christ. And if we're going to receive the blessings of a reconciled relationship with God, this gift of salvation... We're also expected to share this with those who have not yet heard and who have not yet believed. We're coming towards the end of the letter. In today's passage, if you read through it, it might seem like a, a, just a random collection of just general exhortations that Paul's just kind of tacking on at the end of the letter. Here's just a few things that I just want to mention. But the, Paul is actually making a deliberate move at the end of his presentation to appeal to the Colossian church, and I think to us as well, to take on the responsibility to share the message of Jesus with the watching world. And we do this both in word as well as in deed. So he says in verse 2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 
So Paul's not telling the Colossian church to pray when it feels convenient or when it feels right. And uh, to devote yourself to something um, is not the same thing as to dabble in something. Paul is uh, asking us that our devotion to prayer is going to be a priority in our lives, both individually as well as corporately. So what kind of prayers is Paul advocating here in this passage? I mean, is he just talking about praying about, in general, about anything and everything? And uh, we know in Scripture, I mean, it's just all over, that God encourages us to pray at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests. So that is absolutely good and appropriate. However, if you look, just given the context of the Colossians, the book of Colossians at large, I think Paul has specific kinds of of prayers in mind here. Prayer here is not simply an act of presenting one's personal wishes and desires to God. Again, there's a time and place for that. Rather, Paul is advocating for prayer that is directed to the fulfillment of God's kingdom when Jesus returns. It's prayer that is directed to the fulfillment of God's kingdom when Jesus returns. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we see this because of what Paul says immediately after, that our prayers ought to be aided by watchfulness and thankfulness. So throughout Paul's letter, we see these overtones of the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan and Jesus' return. Uh, There's this emphasis on the blessings that are to come when Jesus comes back. We see this in uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Paul says that God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So this is an inheritance, this gift of what is to come and what is ours. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul encourages us to set our hearts on things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the God. And again in verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4, he affirms the believers. I love this verse. He says, when Christ, who is your life, When he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. When Jesus appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So we look at the themes just woven throughout the letter of Colossians. We ought to read watchfulness with the return of Christ in mind. Okay, we are already raised with Christ. Paul's made that clear. Yet we are watching for the day when we will appear with him and glory. We watch for that. Our watching and our praying is to be done in light of this reality, the return of Jesus in glory and our union with him in that glory. And Paul also says that our prayer ought to be informed by thankfulness. And again, I believe that this thankfulness is rooted in the anticipation of Jesus's return, this, this expectation of it. And we often only think of gratitude as an expression of thanks for a prior act of kindness, and it certainly is that. But with our, as with our watchfulness, I think Paul has a, a more forward-looking thanksgiving in mind here. It's a response to God's future act as though it were an already accomplished reality. It's a response to God's future act as if it's an already accomplished reality. Thanksgiving here affirms the certainty of Christ's return and glory. So just a question I just want us to consider uh, for a moment. As I was reading this passage this week, um, I had to just remind myself, um, how often 
Do you in your prayer life contemplate the return of Christ and your union with him in glory? How often do you contemplate the return of Christ and your union with him in glory? This has been really good for me this week. Um, I've just been making it a practice every single day to just think about this. And I mean, you guys know it. It's, it's, really, uh, it's really easy to become discouraged in today's world. Um, there's just so many things that I feel like we just feel like are wrong. Political climate and inflation and war and Ukraine. And there's just so many reasons for these things. And man, it's just been so good for me to just think and consider and just rest in the reality that Jesus is going to come again. And when he does, I will be united with him in glory. How often do you allow yourself to be filled with the comfort and the hope, knowing that someday Jesus is going to come again, full of glory, and we who believe will be united with him in that. How often do you let yourself be comforted by that? We are to anticipate this reality in our prayer life. This is what I believe Paul is getting at when he calls us to be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. We are to anticipate the day when Jesus comes and we live in light of it. We're hopeful. And so we don't become discouraged. We've set our hopes on that. We have set our confidences on that reality. Just make that a practice for you um, this week is to just set your hopes on that. Just meditate on that and think on that and let that fill you with comfort and hope today. In light of this forward-looking prayer, verses 3 and 4, Paul asks that the church of Colossae to pray for his ministry as well. So he says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may, we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul tells the Colossians, he says this, for this, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And here we see Paul asking for a reciprocal act from the Colossians, that they too were to pray for him and his ministry. He specifically asked that God would open a door for the message, which is just simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul knew and believed that prayer was the driving force behind his ministry. Like prayer was just not a formality for Paul, something to check off the box. In Paul's letters to various churches and people, all the epistles, um, he, Paul constantly tells about his readers about his prayers for them, his continual, faithful, fervent prayers for those he's writing to. Even his colleagues applied this to their lives Next week, we'll look at chapter 4, verse 12, where Paul mentions once more Epaphras, who is, he says he's always wrestling for you in prayer. He is always wrestling. I love that picture, wrestling for you in prayer. So the Colossians were to have an active role in the ministry of Paul through prayer. Just a, a real simple application for us as I thought about that, this this week is one, something I want to encourage us to do is to pray for faith's missionaries. Pray for faith's missionaries. Just as the Colossians were to join Paul's ministry through prayer, we too are called to join in the ministry of our missionaries through faithful, faithful prayer. At Faith, we support um, just amazing people, uh, financially and prayerfully, both locally as well as abroad, who are 
serving the kingdom of God in such faithfulness and such fervency, are you praying for them? And if not, that's okay. This is not like guilt trip time. Uh, But will you commit yourself to praying for them? Will you commit yourself today to do so regularly? And we want to help you do this. Um, We recognize that some of us, we just don't know who we do support, who are our missionaries. And so after the service today, if you go outside the worship center doors, there's a a wall there with the uh, map of the world. And um, on there is just a table, and it's got these quarter sheets of paper that contain all the names of the people that we support as a church, uh, both locally as well as abroad. And I just encourage you to pick one of those up, or a few of those up this morning. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your car dash. uh, Put it in your journal. And uh, just commit to praying for one of them. You don't have to pray through the whole list. There's a lot there. Uh, But just commit yourself to praying for one of those missionaries. There's some simple... Uh, prayer prompts on those cards as well, and so you can, uh, you can use those and uh, pray that God um, would open a door for the message of the gospel uh, to be advanced in the people that they serve. And there are many others in our church community who are involved with campus ministries or international missions um, that are not on those cards, and so if you know them, pray for them too, okay? Just pray for, if there's someone else that comes to your mind, pray for them as well. And so we'd encourage you to pick one of those up. Uh, But this is not just for missionaries, right? Uh, In verse 5, Paul transitions from speaking of his ministry and tells us that we too have a responsibility to live lives of influence with those around us. We too have this responsibility. It's not just for missionaries. He says, verse 5, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So by outsiders, Paul is referring to those outside of the Christian faith. This is just simply those who have not trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. These are our friends. These are our coworkers. These are our neighbors. um, Sometimes they're our family members. And Paul says that we are to be wise in the way that we act toward them. Biblically, to be wise is another way of saying to walk in wisdom to walk in wisdom. As we live our lives in in our fallen world, a broken world, we need wisdom. We need wisdom to make our interactions with unbelievers fruitful. We need God's wisdom to do this. If I could, I mean, just paraphrase what Paul's saying here, it's just don't be mean with your unbelieving friends, okay? Don't be stupid with your unbelieving friends. Learn what it means to live a life of wisdom with them. And here's probably a, just a overly simplified, probably an obvious yet uh, a sobering thought for us, is that the, in regards to the spread of the gospel, it matters how we live our lives. It matters how I live my life. It matters how you live your life in regards to the spread of the gospel. It matters how we act. It matters how we behave. My life and your life is a witness to the work of God. And this is not to mean that we're to be perfect in everything we do. We're far from that. But it should not surprise us that as new creations in Christ, God would expect us to live lives of wisdom, to live lives of beauty, to live lives of winsomeness. So are you living your life 
according to biblical wisdom. Not cultural wisdom, not worldly wisdom, but biblical wisdom. And if you're asking, like, how do I know? I mean, I think so, I hope so. (laughs) But how do I know I'm living with biblical wisdom? And it's just a real simple answer is to submit yourself daily to the word of God. A.K.A. read the Bible and do what it says. That is how we gain a heart of wisdom. We learn wisdom by reading the word and submitting ourselves to it. It's my responsibility as well as your responsibility as believers in Jesus to read God's word and to find out how do, to, do we live lives of wisdom. We need to do that. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? How do we follow the ancient path? I mean, there is a grain to the universe by God's design, and it is through submitting ourselves to the Word of God that we learn to follow that grain and therefore flourish. This is the primary way we learn what it means to be wise with our unbelieving friends. God is faithful. He's equipped us. He's given us everything that we need. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and with the help of the church and community, we can learn to submit ourselves to the Word of God, to learn what it means to live with wisdom. God will equip us to do that. This fall, we're actually going to be doing a sermon series uh, doing just that, learning what it means to walk with biblical wisdom. So it's going to be awesome. Stay tuned. That's, we're going to be doing that here in a few weeks. So Paul goes on to say that we are to make the most of every opportunity. The original language, making the most, translates a verb that's literally translated as to buy out, buying out. The sense here is that we're supposed to snatch up every single moment as though it were a bargain too good to pass up, to share the good news. I, uh, I, I've got an app on my phone, and um, it's a Sonic app, and uh, every once in a while I get a notification that says that mozzarella sticks are a dollar today. And uh, you betcha, I'm stopping by Sonic on my way home for my kids. I promise it's not for me. But it's just a, it's a too good of a deal to pass up. We love mozzarella sticks in our family. And uh, whenever I see that, I just have to do it. And uh, that's going to be the same way in our witness to the world. We should have the same mindset. We snatch up, we buy out, we make the most of every single opportunity we can to share the good news of Jesus. And in these moments, Paul tells us in verse 6 that we are to make sure that our conversation is full of grace, seasoned with salt. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. Paul is calling on Christians to speak with their unbelieving neighbors and friends with gracious and warm and inviting words. He's not saying that you're supposed to pretend to be a nice person to to manipulate your friend to come to church, okay? That does not work. Rather, he's saying this, that we ought to submit our words to God's grace and God's kindness. We submit our words to God's grace and his kindness. The metaphor of salt refers to the care in choosing the right word. I love it. Salt adds flavor. Salt preserves and our words should do the same 
We are called to live lives and present the gospel in a winsome way so that outsiders are attracted to the message of salvation. It's what God wants for us. It's for our good. And if you're feeling as though you don't have what it takes to do this, like this is, like I don't even understand what conversation with grace seasoned with salt practically means for my life. I just want to give us uh, just two practical um, thoughts on, on how we do this and what this practically looked like. And, and, I, and I want us to see that this is not for Bible academics. This is not for super smart theologians. This is something for all of us that we are all called to do. And I, there's like an infinite amount of things of how to have your conversation full of grace seasoned with salt. And I just like picked two low-hanging fruit things for, for us this morning. So there's more that we could say, but here's just a, a few really simple ones. First, rid yourself of all cynicism. So the first one's not actually a do, it's a, it's a don't. I think our conversation will be full of grace if we simply just rid ourselves of all cynicism from our language. Let's be militant about it. Cynicism is increasingly the spirit of our age. It is the tone that permeates our culture. Like, do y'all feel that? Do I need to flesh out what I mean by that? I mean, cynicism is everywhere, everywhere we look. It's like almost you're, you're expected to pre- be praised for being cynical. And it's so easy to let that creep into our lives as well. In Paul E. Miller's book, A Praying Life, he says that cynicism begins with the rye assurance that everyone has an angle. Behind every silver cloud is a lining. This is the best part. It says, the cynic is always observing, critiquing, but is never engaged, loving, or hoping. The cynic is obser- always observing, critiquing, but never engaged, loving, or hoping. Friends, the world is watching us. And the words we use either give credit or discredit the integrity of the gospel that we profess. We're just supposed to be the opposite of cynical in a cynical world. Rather, than, rather we're called to be engaged, loving, and hopeful. I mean, what would people think of us if we were never cynical? What would people think of us if we were hopeful at all times? And I'm not talking about like cheap optimism here. You understand the difference? We're not talking about cheap optimism. Scripture tells us that we are to be shrewd as serpents, but wise as doves. We acknowledge and combat evil with vigilance. Okay, we acknowledge and we combat evil with vigilance, but we never lose our childlike spirit. Sometimes I think that we're more shrewd than we are innocent. If I could swing the pendulum the other way, let us find a middle where we are both shrewd as well as innocent. We hate what is evil, but we cling to what is good. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Cynicism is a stumbling block. Okay. Get rid of cynicism. Second recommendation for conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt. And we're talking about making the most of every opportunity that we can with those who don't know Jesus. 
Okay, this is for everyone. We all can do this. Second one, super profound. Ask questions. Use your words to show genuine interest in other people. You'd be amazed how people feel when you ask them questions about their lives. I mean, this is just like salt all over conversation if you just pursue people with questions. In a world dominated with self, it's amazing the trust that you will earn with other people if you just show a genuine interest in their lives. Ask about their family, their childhood, their hobbies, their fears, favorite movies, favorite books. People in general love talking about themselves. And uh, man, it's just amazing the, this, the influence you will have on people's lives if you just pursue them with that. So we're to make the most of every opportunity with our coworkers, our friends, and our neighbors. And, and we're not... We're not trying to like force Jesus into the conversation here, right? Like that's not what we're doing. We're not like by making the most of every opportunity, we're not like trying to get Jesus into the conversation in a manipulative sort of way. We're just approaching the world with open hands and open hearts saying, God, use me however you want in this conversation. May my words be full of grace, full of hope, full of life. May I be invested in the other person. That's what we're called to do. We get rid of cynicism. We show interest in other people's lives. If we do these things and over time, doors, they will be opened. Opportunities for us to share the hope that we have in Jesus. This is what it means to have conversations that are full of grace and seasoned with salt. Lastly, Paul says that the end goal in all of this is so that you may know how to answer everyone. I love it. It's, uh, when I first read this, my first um, understanding was that, okay, so now I'm supposed to know all the answers to people's theological questions. That's what Paul's saying. Know how to answer everyone. Have all the answers. And the good news is that's not what he's saying here. It's actually so much better than that. There is value in knowing the Bible. There's value in growing in our theology. All of that is good and right. But I think that Paul is same thing, saying something just a little bit more nuanced here. Paul is encouraging us to see the person that we are speaking with, their needs, their context, and their lives. We see the person that we're speaking with, their needs, their context, and their life. Rather than be Bible know-it-alls, we are to answer or respond to each person as fits the occasion. In submission to the Holy Spirit, we are called to speak the right word at the right time to the right person. Every single person that we interact with is to be shown care and interest, not subjected to some stock rhetoric we learned about God in a book. And this is really like highly personal and loving. Like I hope you see that. I love this verse. If you are unenthused by prepackaged gospel speeches, this is really good news for you. We are to speak to the needs of the person that we are speaking with. Everyone's at a different place in their faith journey and how we speak to one person is going to be different than how we speak to another person. And by living with biblical wisdom, we are to appropriate our words for the needs of the person. 
I mean, what could be more loving? This is a loving thing to do. We're not talking robots. We are redeemed humans speaking with humans that need redeeming. Evangelism should not be stale or static or bland. It's vibrant because we're, we're, we're talking with real people with real needs. This is in line with Paul's instruction to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29. He says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is what it means to, an- to know how to answer each person. In submission to the Holy Spirit, we speak the right word at the right time to the right person. So our conversation is supposed to be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer everyone. As our children grow in maturity, and we certainly hope that they do so, Amy and I have every expectation of giving our children the blessings of greater responsibility and gifts for them to, jo- to enjoy. We look forward to that, and it's for their good. We want them to enjoy these blessings of responsibility and gifts. We also expect that with these blessings, they also learn to use them wisely and to share them generously. We are to do the same with the gospel we've received. Scripture is so clear that we have been given every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus. We've been given every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus. And what does God call us to do with it? We're just supposed to share it. Share it with the world. Both in the words that we say as well as in what we do. Our lives are to be devoted to prayer with an eye towards Jesus, his ultimate return. Saturated with gratitude and thanksgiving in light of it. We're to join those who are sent from us in praying for fruitful ministry and open doors for the message of the gospel. And it's not just for them, it's for us too. We are called to be message bearers as well. We too are obligated to live lives of influence and to preach the gospel. We do so with biblical wisdom, with words and conversation that is gracious warm and inviting, full of love for the other person, no matter where they are at in their spiritual journey. We're called to be active participants in the advancement of the gospel. Like we are stakeholders in all of this. We have that responsibility. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help to do this. We need your help to show us how to live lives of influence. Lord, we we want to be obedient. We want to be obedient to you. And you need to show us how to live lives of influence and wisdom, God, so that people will know you. That's the ultimate goal in all of this, is that people would know you, the sweetness of fellowship with you, Lord, that you might receive glory. So help us, Lord, to be a people that know how to interact with the world as new creations. Our conversation would be full of grace, seasoned with salt, loving the other people to know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.